production of the Tool Network. This is Laser Knees number 101. Hashtag called it. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. This is Dino Knight Sentai Ryu Soldier, episode 29, Conalo's Wedding, and episode 30, Overcoming Higher Specs. Our writer for 29 is Takahiroya, and for 30, it's Shidayumi. Wow, neither of them were, were the main guy. No, surprisingly, with how much stuff that really affects the core plot is going on here. Yeah, wow, good on, good on Takahiroya and uh, Shita Ayumi. That's high-quality work. Yeah, our director for both is Koichi Sakamoto. What, seriously? You couldn't tell from the action direction? <laughs> I mean, it was good action direction, I just, like, okay, this is, this, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna key that it's Koichi Sakamoto, it's gonna be from him being a creepy, to be, a creepy, creepy To creeper. be fair, they didn't creep on Kanalo's girlfriend. Speaking of, though, uh, we have two, yes, yes. two big returning actors this week. And they are some big ones, Yeah, too. they really yeah. are. In episode 29, Kanalo's almost wife, Ayui, is played by Hikaru Yamamoto, who is most known for playing Akiko in Kamen Rider Double. And, and I just want to throw out an underrated character. Very. I have seen a lot of hate thrown her way, and it is all incorrect. It's true. I've seen a lot less over the years. But uh, I think it's just those people have stopped caring about Double because it's been, like, a decade. Yeah. Um, and then in episode 30, we have the return of Nao Nagasawa, who's known for just so many roles within Rider and Sentai. They literally can't get rid of her. Uh, but most notable is her role as Nanami Nono, who was Hurricane Blue in Hurricane Jer. I need to get back and watch Hurricane Jer. So sometime. do I. I don't know if anyone finished no, they, subbing it. That might be I it. do think the DVD releases are either getting close to Hurricane or are like at Hurricane mm. I uh, like I just I do need to order more of them, but boy, those import fees are not nice. Yeah, I need to uh get on that. Also I keep hoping they'll put out a Blu-ray release. Just probably stupid because like it costs a lot of money to put out a Blu-ray release, and, but they make enough with these things that they can keep putting them out every like it feels like six months. Yeah, they're really going through them, which I I kind of wish they'd slow down a little just so I could catch up. Yeah, right. But you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it just be like that. And, and hey, hey, speaking of ways that sometimes things just be. Oh, let's just get to our bad things so we can get to the good stuff. Okay, so the, I, I want to start out with just the thing that I'm most bothered by in both of these episodes. Maybe within the whole show, quite frankly. This is like my, <laughs> okay. my number one problem, at least within these episodes. I really love Kanalo and Yui together. They're really good for each other, and it just it made me really happy to see Kanalo find someone that he connected with, that really connected with him on a level where there's no misunderstandings, they want to get married, they want to be happy together. And then they introduce this stipulation of, well, for that to happen, Kanalo has to quit being a Ryu soldier. Because she doesn't want him to fight. And I got really upset because it felt like Excel returns all over again. Except, like, this time at least she was mellow and reasonable. Instead of the travesty of what they did to Akiko in that movie. But it was, like, the same idea, and I felt like if the two of them just sat down and talked it out, 
Like, they could have found a compromise. There could have been a way to do this. Like, Kamala is compelled to help people. He's a good person, and this condition is holding him back from being a knight and doing good for people. And I get that she spent her whole childhood watching her mother worry over her father coming home from his job as a policeman getting hurt. But also, like, she's gotta be aware that the Duridon threat is happening and is, like, a huge threat to people's lives. Yeah, I mean, it's not like every, I don't know, you know, accounting for sort of elastic time frame, like, at least once a month, twice a month, she is seeing a skyscraper-sized robot just wreck downtown. Yeah, like, he's gotta be like, hey, that thing, I'm, like, I need to deal with that. Like, even if the discussion was just, look, I have to fight the Duridon because if I don't, we're both gonna be dead. Like, you're not gonna be able to worry because we're both gonna be dead. And so is the whole planet. And once they're gone, I won't need to fight anything anymore, and then we can get married. Because, I mean... Under the sea. It's Sorry. just asking her to wait for him isn't great, and... But also, like, and I know he doesn't know that we've only got, like, four or five months left, but there is only really four or five months left. So it's just, I feel like there has to be some middle ground that they could have reached if they talked it out and this show really had the stones to let Conalo get married, or at least have the promise of getting married by the end of the show, and just move on from this. Because it's just, I feel really bad for him. He found this woman who's really perfect for him, and it feels like the show just goes out of its way in every way possible, at every single turn, to not allow Conalo to be happy. Yeah, which, like, look, I'm not the biggest fan of what the guy's been up to in the series, but it's not like I have anything personal against him and I want him to be miserable. Like, he just wants to get married, and my problem has been that him trying to meet girls has been played as just this really frustrating joke. But in this, yeah, he he met a nice girl. They had a lot in common. He wanted to, you know, take her down to get married under the sea. Under the sea? You know, they were going to have a hot crustacean band instead of just a lot of sand. It was going to be a thing. They'd have no troubles. Life is the bubbles under the sea. I'm, I'm never going to get over using that. I'm so sorry. And instead, they just, they create this arbitrary thing. And even though it makes perfect sense, I mean, like you said, hey, I fight the giant monsters. Once the giant monsters are gone, and there is a finite amount of them, we can just go get married. And you can come down with me and be an environmentalist under the, under the water, and we will wage war on the disgusting surface dwellers for their pollution of Earth's oceans. And it'd be great. I mean, like, I'm guessing they couldn't keep her on because I know Hikari Yamamoto has another role on a show that's airing right now. Oh, that'll do it. That, actually, Eiji from O's is also on. Oh, really? Um, Okay. But I mean, like, they don't actually need her to, like, appear in the show. Like, you can just say, like, hey, we're getting married, so she's moved to the bottom of the ocean and is doing stuff there to set up for this wedding. And just have Kanalo and Oto, like, talk about her sometimes. Have Oto show up and be like, hey, 
she wants to know, like, what flowers you want. Yeah, heck, just put her in a room and just against a green screen, film her doing half of a conversation, just let him react. We fine. Yeah, it's just, I really hope that they can at least get her back at the end of the show and he can, like, marry Yui at the end. Just, Aw, that would be actually quite, yeah. Like, I, I don't know, I just, I feel really bad for him. Because he really, he found this girl that he really connected with, that there wasn't a misunderstanding, there was no jokes or pratfalls or making fun of him, or turning it into this weird kind of sleazy joke. Like, he just found someone that he really, really liked. And they got to, like, I'm sorry, their their little courtship, short as it was, was really cute. I, I want to I wanna see how it went. I want, I want them to get married, dang yeah. it. Yeah. It's just, like, I want him to have this. And then when he does, like, we don't have to go back to the making fun of him, because that's over. He's married now. He doesn't need to be hitting on all these girls. Yeah. He's he's not being a creeper. He's just being some dude now. Cool. That's all I want. Because honestly, I do want to know what he's like as just a person. But we only ever see him in in the context of, oh, he's being a creeper. So the framework of episode 30 just feels really gross. Like, I know culturally marriage is a whole big thing, and it's it's hard for some people, and that, like, marriage consultants and matchmakers are a thing, and this is an actual, like, thing? Which doesn't make it less gross, it kind of makes it more gross. I don't know, it just, you know, something about rich, good-looking guy thinking he doesn't have to treat women as people just gets my back up, I wonder why. I can't imagine. That's so strange, Sono. I, 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 as a man, I have never had this feeling. Therefore, it cannot exist in anyone. Sorry, it's just, but... I mean, at least midway through the episode, now Nagasawa is like, Hey, buddy, this whole mindset of yours is gross and stupid. Get your act together. And I mean, even if that is what caused the Minosaur to grow, this is like the rare and fascinating case where the victim of the week is actually the person in the wrong. Yeah, I confess, I was legitimately surprised by that. I I was thinking, oh, okay, it's going to end up being a red herring, but realizing that it actually was just that this dude is the worst guy and can't handle being criticized about that even a little, I, I confess that put a smile on my face. Lots of good commentary and evidence of a decent moral core for Ryu Soldier. Not that we didn't know that was there, but it's it's nice to see this bit, too. So on that on that level, uh, hats off to Shita. Yeah, I mean, like even um, even stuff that's got like a decent moral core, usually that part's not there, and that's that's just a good thing to give to the kids. Yeah, yeah. Hey, don't treat people like this. It's awful. Yeah, it's like it's no matter bad. like how much money or how good looking you are, like if you don't treat someone like a person, they're not gonna like you. Yeah. I know it sounds really fake, but no, that's actually just how things be. People aren't going to be nice to you if you just tell them, hey, you should feel honored to be around me, filth. And look, I, I confess, I'm sure someone out there is, is about to make a joke about how there are certain people who would love that, but we aren't talking about them. This is this is not uh, an explicit podcast. Uh, I shouldn't try to make jokes. I'm not very good at them. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. So I go back and forth a lot on Tiramigo's relationship with Melt, but uh, Mm. literally 
like, biting him and throwing him across the room as a means to try and eat another character? Like, baby, you're grounded. Go to your room. <sighs> you know, I want to speak in my son's defense, but, uh, yeah, no, no, he is, he has to go sit in the corner and think about what he's done. No Fortnite, no TikToks, uh, no, what, what no Twitters, no Snapchats, um... I'm just going to take his phone away. I'm sorry, you, like, you killed it and he's grounded from Fortnite. <laughs> I just, I don't, I, I'm trying to show that I know what the, what the kids today, TM, are into. I, I connect with the youth. I'm just, I'm dying at the idea of Tiramigo playing Fortnite. I just, I'm just trying to imagine, like, he's got, like, a giant version of one of the, uh, Humagear headsets. And he's just screaming obscenities into the, into the thing. Until Ko comes in, and then he just goes, then there's definitely a bit where he's mad at Melto, because Melto totally narked on him. Sorry, I I just I, do, I also I like the idea of him playing Fortnite, and I just wonder what his Fortnite avatar's like. Dear listeners, if any of you, I don't know how Fortnite avatars work, can you just make an avatar? If any of you can make a t- what Tiramigo's avatar would look like, send it our way, we'll put it in the show please, notes. Please, like, please do. I would. I also don't know how Fortnite avatars work. Please, someone do this. Suddenly, I'm just trying to f- picture what his username would be, because like he's he's not quite to having a username like Dino Weed Lord for twenty sixty nine. He's too young for that still. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, let's let's move on because I I think we could just do a whole episode about uh, Tiramigo's Fortnite character. Okay, so here's here's my big question about 30. How exactly did Nada get into space to find the guy's org armor? <laughs> like, he says he went into space to find it. As I point off in a direction just like he did in the episode, as if any of you can see me. <laughs> but, like, and he clearly did go into space to find the armor because that's how he ended up hitting Piton and turning him into the egg. So the armor didn't, like, fall back to Earth? Like, he... How did he get up there? And for that mass matter, how did Master Green get up there? Because it sure doesn't seem like Reeve Soul Folk have any kind of space travel. I mean, like, di- there are some Dino Knights out there. Shine Raptor and Shadow Raptor were out there. Um, Piton says he just, like, went to go fly into space because it sounded fun. But, like, the Dino Knights are mostly locked away, so it's not like anyone can just do that. Like, how do y'all keep going into space to deal with this armor? Yeah, that was my question, too. Because, like, on the one hand, look, I do actually kind of appreciate that they just don't even bother trying to give a reason for it. It's, It's just, look, they did move on. But at the same time, it begs a lot of questions. <laughs> Mostly, like, I like in trying to find a way to make it work in my head, I'm like, okay, well, do they, like, project their spirits out there? Do they fly? Can they teleport? Is there just a an astronaut soul? I mean, like, look, there really could have just been an offhand explanation for how it works, and I would have just, okay, cool. But they didn't even do that, and I, I kind of admired the audacity, even as I'm right with you, like, Y'all should explain a thing. I mean, it's just, I don't need, like, the question directly answered. I just need, I need something, like, 
I need a reasonable explanation just in the background context of the show. Because, like, I'm not asking how the Ryu Soul Folk went and lived underwater. Like, obviously, they climbed into the sea dinosaur's mouth and went down there. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like, there's, there's some context for a way that makes sense. I don't know how any of y'all are getting into space, because everyone seems to keep doing it. Yeah, I... I'm guessing they just uh, got Rita's invitation somehow. She she sent out a lot of like pre-invitations before she tried to do Super Sentai Strongest Battle. Yeah, I'm I'm also which both is and is yeah. That's another thing. Strongest Battle just both is and is not canon now. Yeah. Which okay. Which I'm, I love. Like I'm down with that uh, because that's that's the kind of nebulous timeline nonsense that I adore. Same. Like, that's the most fanfiction nonsense this could have done. But how did y'all get into and, space? No, it's, it's a very good question. And okay, I'm just, I'm just going to throw out, like, the nitpick I've got, which isn't even entirely a nitpick, and is kind of a compliment, but one of those compliments like, uh, hey, I feed my children. Do, 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 okay, good. Do you want a cookie? I mean, you're, you're supposed to do that. That's they're your kids. That sounds very judgmental, but and anyway, y'all know where I'm going with this, because um, I want to be able to trust Koichi Sakamoto, <laughs> because those action scenes were pretty good. But also, um, like if I knew if I had realized it was him, I would have just been waiting the entire time for him to get super awful pervy. And I just, I don't want him to be super awful pervy, because I'd like to be unreservedly excited to see him direct things, because he sells big moments very well, and these episodes had some big moments that he sold very well. Like, again, I, I was surprised to find out he did these episodes, because at least I didn't catch a bunch of creep shots, because, like, that's kind of what defines him out of those action moments, and that will actually feel different depending... But, like, on top of good action moments, what I mean is is he also can make things just sort of, like, feel natural in the series, even as he's bringing his own style to things. He's a very skilled director, but also just because he wasn't a weird creeper this time, that doesn't mean that next time we won't be, like, doing a slow upward pan on a lady or do some lingering shots on her legs or have some weird horny costume choices. And it's just, I, I, it's one of those things where even as I appreciate what he brings to the table, his past record kind of should exempt him from like the, the kids show circuit. Like, look, I'm not saying cast him out of work forever. I, I don't think that'd be bad, but look, he can have, I'm not saying like with my weird podcaster powers that he doesn't get to have a career anymore, but like, let's just seal him off in, like, weird, horny direct-to-video or the streaming equivalent thereof action movies. Like, he can go have, like, Sexy Girl Fighters, the movie. I don't... Just stop giving him kids' shows. And, and look, I'm not even saying that I'm a fan of exploitation films, necessarily, or a non-fan. But it's just at least limit it to the times and places where people can be aware of it instead of sneaking it into Movie Wars Ultimatum, which has a cast of a lot of teenagers, you absolute creeper. It is one of those things where, like, I did notice that for a good couple of years, he was only on, like, direct-to-DVD, like, Rider and Sentai stuff. 
Yeah. He, and like, he was at best on theatrical movies. And look, his his directorial style works very well for theatrical movies. But also, like, it's also in the theatrical movies where we get Movie War Ultimatum again. Like, I, I know he did um, Dr. Pac-Man, which I only remember because there's a character that I only know as Dr. Hot Pants, uh, which is, you know, that's a Sakamoto character. Beautiful action directing, but Dr. Hot Pants, lots of long lingering shots on her legs. And, you know, lots of high kicking in shirts that go ma- in shorts, shorts that go an inch down her thighs. But, like, I noticed for a good couple of years he was not getting to direct TV episodes. They were restricting who got to see him until he calmed down. And I think he, like, got most of it out of his system with Girls in Trouble. And now they're like, okay. I hope so. It's like, okay, now you gotta behave and maybe we'll let you back on TV. Which, you know, again, good. <laughs> I just I just wish I could have some kind of certainty that he was going to keep behaving. Which, I mean, like, that's not anything we can or can't have, because that's about the future, and the future is always ultimately unknowable. But still. And, and to believe otherwise is the illusion of control, which is a terrible thing to get into, but yeah. It's just what we want. Still. Yeah, I just, again, I don't hate him personally. I just don't want to worry every time Oto's on screen. You know? Yeah, it's... Like, look, I don't hate him personally. I just have some critiques of his work. Some notes, and maybe... And all of them just go down to, don't be horny on Maine. Please. Just just calm down, dude. Like, just for a little while, don't be horny on Maine. Again, here's my thing. Set up a side, you know, set up a side thing, and just go be horny there, and just not on Maine, though. That's main implies non-main things. So just go do it over there. Not where, where, where it's not on these things, and you can just use your clout to get, I don't know, other action movie things. Anyway, let's move on, because I, this, I'm just going in a circle now, where I'm just like, just do sexy action movies, dude, come on! Anyway, let's, just, let's get into good things, because Koichi Sakamoto just is always just the problematicest of, most problematic of problematic faves. Yeah. Okay. But we do have a lot of good things. We These were good episodes. Yes. Primarily good things, honestly. But yeah, quite frankly. Yeah. Opening this episode, opening episode 29, in the rain with a sad toy crying in a pile of trash, resonated with something buried so deeply in me. Yeah, that's a real, real mood right there. Oh boy. Hit me hard. Yeah, like, I've always had a tendency to anthropomorphize objects, especially, you know, dolls and toys, because they have faces. Um, and I'm the sort of human that will pack bond with literally anything to the point where I risk hoarding tendencies if I don't forcibly remind myself that uh, objects cannot love me. Hashtag team almost hoarders fist bump. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not because I can throw things out. I can but get boy, rid of things, be, but uh, it's it can be very hard, especially if it's something with a face. Yeah, no, right, right there with you, dude. Um, so having the Minosaur be born from kind of a beloved toy that was mistakenly thrown out, or may have been thrown out on purpose by that kid's mom, which is rude. That kid is like seven. Very. And then having Kanalo like, go to the Minosaur and call out to the toy about how it is loved and missed and the kid it loves doesn't think it's trash. 
and never thought it was and wants it back. Like, that was heartbreaking and I had to go, like, hug some very beloved stuffed animals that I've still got. Aww. But, I mean, look, that's that's a very understandable reaction. Because, you know, we invest, you invest a lot of yourself in these things, which, as we've just said, I also have those borderline hoarding tendencies, so I know intellectually it's not always the healthiest thing to do, but it's, it still happens. And it's just also one of those really deep sort of ideas that, that make, like, Toy Story such an effective way to talk about various kinds of loss and or death, because, let's face it, that's what at least the first three movies are. I haven't seen number four yet. Yeah. Shrug. But, like, if you watch one through three and you can't come away with, oh, yeah, they're talking about, like, loss... And then by the end, straight up death. Like, you are dead. The world is moving past you. What do you do? Like, Toy Story messes with me, man. <laughs> but on top of that, it's it's got to also be at least kind of related to why why you feel really terrible if you think of, like, uh, a cardboard box in the rain full of, like, baby puppies. Because it's just, these are things that are innocent, they didn't do anything wrong. Arguably, they are incapable of doing anything wrong, and still it's being treated that way. And that, like, that messes with me. Because, <laughs> like, on top of off wanting to offer, like, comfort to a creature, or in this case, like, a spirit-having thing who who's in pain, like, it also underlines that the antipathy and contempt that you can sometimes feel for your fellow human had to be taught to you. Because if if you can feel that kind of, like, sniffly about this imaginary stuffed toy in the rain thrown out unjustly, like, you have the capacity to feel that way about anyone. Someone just had to teach you who not to feel it for. Which, okay, everybody take a drink. <laughs> And again, I just, I, I love that every now and then Ryu Soldier will touch on despair coming from things that are not people. Yes. It just, it makes for some really interesting stories and keeps it from getting stale. Yeah. And also just, like, it's one of those things that you, at least that makes it fun for me because you don't get that in stateside media. No, you really don't. At least don't. not with any kind of regularity. Um, I just, I've mentioned it on previous episodes, but... If, if you get down with that feeling and want to explore it more, uh, the, the movie The Great Yokai War, I'm going to put a link to the wiki and the as mentioned, uh, really, really good for exploring that feeling, because it's all about, hey, appreciate the fact that, like, you don't just throw out your shoes like they're nothing. Give them some respect. They work themselves to death on your feet. Those toys, don't just throw them out. Give them respect as you send them into the next thing, because if they're busted, you busted them, etc., <laughs> etc. Et like, it's, I don't know, and, I mean, it's just we a were, much better way to look we at We were world. talking about uh, creepy ghost Pokemon before the show, and, like, that's the entire basis for one of them. Yeah. Is that it's, like, it's oh, this hey, doll I... that was just thrown out carelessly, and now it's gonna go eat children. Or, uh, like... Yeah. There's there's a it, balloon you heard it. that, it, like, if you see it, 
it'll, if you're a kid, it'll, and just, like, grab onto one of its little string hands, it'll just, you know, walk you into oblivion. Ghost Pokemon are creepy. Wow, that's a nightmare. Ghost Pokemon are creepy and horrible, and I love them. That's, you know what, that's legit. I just, I did not realize there was one that's just like, hey, little kid, grab my hand. Now I'm just going to take you up into the sky. What happens then? And, like, there's no, there's no answer to that that's good. Yeah, no, it's just a, it's a balloon. And you, you hold on to the string, and then you, you know, you go off and you die. I suppose that's better than it just, no, let's not get super dark. Anyway. Somehow it could get darker than that. Let's move on. It can. We were talking about, we were talking about a lot of ghost Pokemon (laughs) earlier. So I just about lost my mind when they had Yui pick up the slipper and wave it around. Um, Like, Double was dang near ten years ago, so a good chunk of the audience is, you know, barely too young to have watched it and understand, you know, that was her shtick. But, you know, older siblings would get it and then be able to introduce their their younger siblings to another show. And it was just a really cute bit that was short and subtle enough to not be intrusive. And I just, I thought it was a very sweet way to kind of nod at her prior role without, you know, smashing you in the face like a baseball bat with it. Yeah, because I confess, I kept waiting for there to be a a bit more of, like everyone zooms in on her and like looks straight at the screen the the screen and screams get it because that's a sort of thing that happens sometimes uh but i confess like toei tokusatsu is better at that than most things but i mean still it's just such a good joke and it was it was nice to have her back and to remember hey akiko she was pretty great yeah and i mean hikaru's looking real good I'm glad she's found a lot of success out there. Like I said, Me she's too. on she she's that. on kind of a CSI-ish show right now. Oh yeah, the the woman of SRI. Yes, uh, which I only know That's because she's I, on uh, with AG. I caught an episode of it, and I wasn't sure what I was watching because I was watching kind of a goofy episode. I was watching <laughs> one of the more like lighthearted episodes, and I didn't see the beginning. Because I just, I wasn't paying attention. So I thought maybe it was like a variety show shtick. Until it went on for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a little long. And then they pull like a, a cast iron pan out of something. And I'm like, oh, a murder was committed. Okay, this is a drama. <laughs> I understand what I'm watching now. That's pretty great. Uh I do love the bit of Mosarex warning Conalo of an enemy, and he's, like, panicking and looking around, and then it's just Nada, like, behind him washing his hands. Because, uh, you know, we've theorized to the point of these two episodes confirming that Nada is not quite the goofy, helpful guy he seems to be. And this is kind of just one more really subtle nod of foreshadowing towards that point. And speaking of... I just gonna. I want to take this moment to say the reason we called this episode hashtag called it is because Sono, you hashtag called it. I did, and I'm very proud of myself. You should be. But you know, it's sort of easy to brush it off as Mosarex being startled by someone unfamiliar suddenly showing up. But you know, if... especially someone unfamiliar from the land where you soul tribe and Mosarex, not not so keen on. Yeah, not super fond of them. So of course he'd be like, "Hey, an enemy." 
Um, but I mean, if you've been picking up on the clues they've been laying down, which we have, check out previous episodes for how we break that down, it's, you know, there's very clearly an actual threat. And and also, it it, it was fun for me because I really dig on the idea that most of Rex is also aware of things in the water near Conalo while they are communing or whatever. I mean, it's it's kind of freaky if you stop and think about it, but it also makes the water telepathy a bit more interesting than straight like into your brain telepathy. They're they're doing more than just communicating facts. They're also like looking out for each other, and that's cool. Though this does circle us back to that time that Bombo was in the river with with Conalo and he heard Mosa Rex. Um, because Nada also has his hands in the water and is listening in on the conversation. And we know this because he said, like, hey, sorry for eavesdropping. Uh, so yeah. he clearly was able to hear both sides of that. And unless he is also secretly somehow part of the Siriu Soul tribe, I'm just now assuming that anyone touching the same general area of water as Kanalo or Oto can also get in on the conversation. And Bamba just didn't know about that. Which is fair, why would he know about that? That's It's a pretty strange thing. Um, which, like, frankly, if that's the case, that's a neat little mechanic that I wish they used more. And also had ever explained even a little bit. Yeah, not... Yeah, just even a fraction of a little. I, I imagine they're probably just saving it for a later reveal, but still. Th there are a lot of questions they could answer, and also, in so doing... They, even more questions they could raise, which is, you know, the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, like, does Conalo not totally realize that's how it works? Because otherwise, why wouldn't he just, like, take Ko's hand and shove their hands in the same fountain and be like, Hey, Ko, talk to Mosa Rex. Anyone who yeah. talks to you immediately loves you. We can solve this problem right now. <laughs> yeah, I figure it's, it's, it's either that or, or maybe... Like, the, the guy's org armor gets more powers the more people it collects, for lack of a better word, but I don't know. I mean, like, Bomba, it, Bomba did it. That's true. But Bomba could be part Resol tri uh, C tribe. I get, like, I don't know, I just, I feel like... It, it goes, e there's evidence for all, for all of it because there's no evidence against anything. Yeah, so this could go in any direction, and I just wish they would, like, nail this down because... Mm. Any way it shakes out is pretty interesting. It's, which is, honestly, kind of impressive. Yeah. Considering the number of things where... Like, like some of the stuff back in uh, Zhuoger. It's like, hey, you guys are working real hard on a mystery. There's no interesting answer to the questions you're posing. Or even... Zio, there's like, oh, hey, you, you're setting up a lot of drama. There's no good outcome for these dramas. I mean, or even, even like drive where it's like hey you're setting up a lot of big things and there's only one way this can work out well and it sure never went that way nope not even a single time boy remember that time where a dude like straight up tried to murder a bunch of teenagers and and the lesson was well he used to be a cop so just let him go Sorry, let's let's move on. Let's stop trying to drag drive. But uh I do love the bit of Nada like trying to be helpful in offering Conalo advice, when in actuality it's just another step of him trying to drive a wedge in the team and pull Ko's support system out from under him to break him down. Uh, but I have to say, like, I appreciate that in other series, some of his advice would be, like, 
the kind that you would give to the big dang hero. And and in this one, it's it's just clearly set up so that Nada's advice is bad. It's a terrible, terrible idea. And maybe you should talk to people and, and try to have a, a bigger view of the world than just yourself. Which, you know, I, I like that. Nada, Nada is such a good, duplicitous jerk. He really is. So we are starting to finally pass the upgrades around, which was nice to see. Yes. And it was nice to see Bamba get to have the Burning Soul for a while, because that was the one he really wanted back when they were trading. So I'm like, hey, you got you got the thing. You got the one that you never got to have. I mean, now there's a bunch more that you haven't gotten to have, but we'll get there. And the sequence also implies that Bamba's been training with it for a while now. So maybe they've kind of been shuffling them around in the background, which is a nice thought. Maybe make that clear more often with who gets to use them in the foreground. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, at least we are getting to see them passed around. Though I think a lot of that is because now we have enough of them to pass around. But still, that I'm excited by that prospect because, hey, that means everyone can have an upgrade by the end. And that's going to be cool. Yeah, I mean, I do wish they would just give Asuna the punch one, and just let her have it. Um, But it is the new one, so it is the most recent one. Now we've got Piton, so, you know, maybe maybe we'll be changing it up a bit now. But he, you know, the Garus were the most recent one for a little bit, so, you know. Yeah, I just, I'm just glad that we're avoiding having red-only upgrades. Yes, I am glad that we're passing them around. Yeah. That, that's like one of the handful of problems I do have with Lupot. Yeah. Not a perfect series by any stretch, but boy, they were going for something. And that was just one of the, the weird little nitpick things that knocks it down a peg for me. But uh, I do think it was sweet that even though the whole team was worried about losing a member, they did decide like, hey, if this is what Conalo really wants, if this is the thing that's most important to him, we are going to support him. We're not going to try and break this up and ruin it for him. Yeah, which, like, it it also drives home not only that the relationship between Conalo and the Ryu soldiers is powerful, but also that everyone kind of agrees that Conalo and, and Yui was it? Yes. Yes. That Conalo and Yui, like, they get it. Like, they are looking at this couple, and they get it. And they respect his judgment, and understand that his... His deal is not that he's here to stop the Duridon. Uh His massive robot fish god monster told him that he's got to go get married to help his people out. And, you know, I, I like them respecting that. Like, he might be a re-soldier, but he didn't sign on for anything except finding the girl to take under the sea to be a, 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 an undersea princess. I keep wanting to say a space princess, but they're not going to space. It's going to be an undersea princess, which is also cool. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of like space. Yeah, I mean... We haven't as, explored a as, lot of it. Exactly. That was that was the the pitch of uh, Sequest DSV. When was the last time you thought about Sequest DSV, y'all? Oh, 90s syndicated science fiction shows. Oh, that was a... That was just a weird one. Especially, like, in season two, where they decided to really lean in. And they're like, nah, it's this is just Star Trek, but it's for reasons it's under the sea. I really liked that see that part when I was a kid. Anyway, let's move on. I'm just saying, 
Uh, darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from May. You know, up on the shore they work all day. Out in the sun they slave away. Um, God, the reveal of Nada in the Geysorg suit was so incredibly on point. Like, I can see why they'd want to bring in Sakamoto for that reveal, because just the choreography of the fight, and then the helmet hitting the ground, the angles and the pacing of the reveal shots, how long shots hang on Nada and then on Bamba and Toa, like, it just made the tension feel so real. Yeah, it really did. And, look, it is moments like that where you remember that oh yeah, we like Koichi Sakamoto doing stuff. It's just, again, he's just, he's frequently just a gross creeper who's creeping gross. It's just, but it, it is also nice because uh, Sakamoto got to direct Geysorg's entrance back in Super Sentai Strongest Battle, and now he gets to do it again. And it feels completely different, even though it feels so very the same. I mean, it's also possible that he did it back when he first appeared in the show, but I don't Could remember. Be. Yeah, I just I just know that Sakamoto got to do it that that first time with that same helmet reveal and everything. It was it was real good. Uh boy, this suit looks really good without a helmet. Yeah, it really does. Better than most, honestly. And that's saying something, which I mean I'm sure that's cause as as we were discussing before we started recording, it's probably made for that. Yeah. But still. Like it, it helps that it's sort of built to have that reveal. Yeah, especially with the, the like the, the the neck bit. Yeah. Like it just it just like seals it off and that really just frames the face really well. Nada looks Nada looks real good in that suit. That's all I'm saying. Everyone looks good in that suit though. It's a good looking suit. It's true. I love the bit of Oto being like, Yeah, so I named this egg. Aren't I great at naming things? It's adorable, right? Like, yes. Yes, Oto, it, it I mean, is adorable. You're correct. In fairness, yeah. Also, I really do kind of love Piton. I adore Piton. Like, especially since especially since it's one of those things where you appreciate how, like, Toei Tokusatsu, they don't have, like, a hero model of, of like, Piton that looks like an egg all over. Like, no, this is just straight up the figure you can go and purchase at a store for a reasonable price. <laughs> You can see, like, on the back, you can see where the legs have folded up because they just did not care to engineer it in such a way that the legs would just tuck away and it would be a perfectly egg-shaped sphere. Well, egg-shaped thing, because it's not a sphere. But, yeah, Piton's great, Piton is what is, I'm saying. Piton is A+. I also really love the sequence of everyone's like, what is this egg? And you just see Ui's dad sleeping in the background, getting up and putting on the Seto headband, and then shambling over to everyone for some exposition. Because I really love the implication that every time we saw this dude in the full, like, garb, with all the shawls and, like, the face coverings, he had to take the time to put that on before he went out to meet up with everyone. That is the goofy lore that I both want and expect from Ryu Soldier. Yeah, no, that is some high-quality Super Sentai implicationing they're doing. And I just, I like that they're just very clear, like, look, we've got these emotions to discuss, and this big lore to reveal, and we've got this fun world-building to do, and it takes work to be the weird expositor who does that. Because, <laughs> you know what? 
you're not a very good expositor if you don't have the kind of gravitas that comes from putting on an entire costume to do a thing. But also, like, he had to do it quick. Because otherwise they were going to move on and he couldn't, like, get in edgewise to explain what's going on. Yeah, like, I just... His timing is so good that it just becomes comical. Yeah, it's really good. So I probably shouldn't have found this bit funny, but the part where Oto is like, asks Kanalo how he can sympathize with someone who's just better than him was such like a perfect baby sister drag that it was hysterical. Like, it really helps that Kanalo didn't get like a pratfall from it or have like, we didn't like take any time out to have him actually react. He just kind of brushes it off and keeps going like Oto does this all the time because she absolutely does. Oh, 1000%. Like they've been family for 120 years or so, and that's more than enough time to get to know someone well enough to do some brutal dragging when the time calls for it. And just that whole like how look, dude, how would you know what it's like to be that kind of handsome or successful or for anyone to like you? Like, that's... That is vicious. I know I keep going on about people stepping on rakes, but she just keeps laying rakes down for him and he just keeps stepping right on them like Sideshow Bob. I mean, it's... Only some... Only a baby sister can lay down a drag like that. Oh yeah, I think if anyone else tried, Oto would just appear out of nowhere and, like, punch them to death yeah because we do know that she is a martial arts master it's true she has a dojo she's running you can tell me it's not true but it's true no it's true that's that's what we believe here that is up on the conspiracy board and you know we've proven that our conspiracy board is correct we we've got more hits than misses and the time the times that we've missed hardest have been on zeo because we kept imagining a better thing no, the time we missed Hardest was X-Aid, because we did not see Pallid coming. That's, ooh, yeah. Again, it's, I mean, it's good that you bring it up, because, I mean, that's, that's not his jacket, but he's just, he's just the inverse of that kid. Ah, It's right there! Anyway. Um, I do, speaking of Nada, I absolutely appreciate that Bamba and Toa just cut to the chase about him. And the fact that he's Geysorg. Because a lesser show would have had them, like, not wanting to tell the team, being worried about how, they, how they'd react. Probably have, like, Bamba not wanting to tell the team and Toa trying to convince him. But Bamba being like, no, we can't do it. And just strung that along for far too many episodes. And let's be honest, doing that for even one episode would have been too long. Oh, by a lot. Because, like, I can't think of exactly the times where we've covered that sort of thing as part of our toll activities, but I I do feel like we have. I'm pretty sure there was at least drive and, like, people not telling Kiriko things. Boy, there was a lot of people not telling Kiriko things. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are other ones. I definitely yeah, just... can't think of them offhand, but that is what springs to mind. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's such frustrating nonsense you don't need it yeah and even though it create it creates artificial drama when like thankfully the people in re-soldier have realized we don't have time for artificial drama we have a lot of actual drama to do yeah and, and, and occasionally they do admittedly take episodes where uh my son 
goes out and plays a baseball, which he's not allowed to do right now because he's still grounded. But he does he does get to swing a baseball bat and be a part of his community, and that's good. But he's not, even after he gets his phone back, he's still not allowed to be on his Fortnite team. But, I mean, like, the, the two of them just go right in at it. Like, which not only yeah. keeps the story going at a good pace, it also shows how much Bamba and Toa, and Bamba especially, have come to really respect and care about the rest of the team. Because, like, sure, they know that this will hurt, because, you know, Ko and Melt and Asuna all care about Nada, but it's more dangerous to let Nada keep manipulating everyone, and it's more important to not put their lives at risk, which is what would happen if they didn't tell them. And, you know, that's more important. Looking directly at you, Kota, from Gaim. Uh, see also our last episode of Blazer Knees, where Nada did absolutely try to make Ko kill his best friend in just the sickest, meanest way possible. Yeah. Like an absolute monster. Like, wow, that was mean. Like, I just, I also really like the dynamic of Bamba has given up on Nada. He's like, if he's in there, he's bad. We we gotta just get rid of him. And then you've got Ko at the other end of the spectrum being like, nope, he is our friend and I believe in him. We can save him. And then you've got Toa kind of right in the middle of that. And very rarely in this kind of situation do you have a character who's in the middle having to weigh both options. And I think that really raises the tension even further. Because, like, of course Ko's gonna believe in him. He's Ko, and also he's the Red, but mostly he, he is Ko, and that's what Ko does. So it, it takes it off of the Red gets to decide what's right and wrong, and puts it on Toa, because whatever Toa decides, that's what's gonna happen to Nada. Basically. And, and it's such a good bit of drama, and more than anything, it's nice to give that bit of drama to a character who, frankly, doesn't seem to get the spotlight that much. Like, I'm sure there's reasons for it, but it's just, it's just nice that when it comes to this side of the show, he gets that extra bit of say, and he gets it because he's in the place where a lot of the audience will be. You know, he's the youngest one. And you have to balance the fact that, you know, the kids at home are seeing that, yeah, not as clearly bad right now. But at the same time, Ko says maybe he could be brought around, and Ko does tend to know what's up. But, you know, it, it gives everyone space to make their own decision and to agree or disagree with Toa, which is, is neat. And that's a cool thing to do for the youngest member of the crew. Especially since he's been kind of one of the focal points for a lot of the Nada drama. Yeah, which I also appreciate. And speaking of Toa and stuff that I appreciate this show doing that normally would be put off for an unpleasant amount of time if it happened at all, Toa goes right out to get Nada's side of what's going on. Like, he, he's got two conflicting sides and he knows there's a lot of holes in that story. And he wants to fill in those holes and work all this out before he decides which side of this line he's going to fall on. Yeah, like a boss. Like, dang, that kid's good. Love him. And also, like, he's, he's doing the work of questioning the, the information around him. And that's, that's awesome, and that's a great thing. You know, again, I know that these shows aren't entirely didactic, but their target audience is, like, five-year-olds, so that's a cool thing to be telling them is a thing to do. Good on you, Toa. 
Good on your show. That's, the Sentai's good, Brent. It is. Just the fact that he immediately, after he's essentially asked to pick sides, is like, I'm gonna go see what Nada has to say about what's going on, because I know that he's doing this, so he can't really lie to me. I'm gonna- I'm just gonna go get an assessment, because if he's gonna lie and, like, pretend that he hasn't been doing bad stuff, then I know that my brother is right. But if he's gonna be upfront with me and tell me what's going on, then I know Ko is right, and I can work this out. And, like, that's just- that's such a good, interesting thing for the show to do that I would not expect to be done. No. But- like you said, you, you don't expect that they did it so well. Like, no one ever went and asked Bosco's side of anything. I mean, there was really no one being conflicted about Bosco, I guess. Yeah, no, um, but... But still, it's not a... You don't see a lot of it. Like, it's like always someone... The... It's always someone jumps to the conclusion and then has to, like, find out the hard way and make some big apologies. Where... Where Toa's like, hey, this dude still believes in you and believes you can be good. And you're being forthright with me and telling me the truth about this suit, how you got it and why you got it. And I think maybe he's right and that you're not bad. And it's, it's just really good seeing Toa make that assessment in real time. Especially since, again, it's, it's hey, let's teach... The critical thinking skills. Let's talk about these things. I'm I'm just really hoping that uh, we see more stuff from Shitayumi. Cause yeah. I'm I'm very I'm very pleased with the way this episode was written. Again, you know, it's the old thing. It, it's not any one person, but there's there's some. You tend to con to attribute those kind of plot beats to a writer. So, yeah. And speaking of Nada discussing the how and why of Geysorg, since we have confirmed the Nada is Geysorg conspiracy theory that we were running with for Hashtag a little while, uh, it's time to move on to my next conspiracy of the week. Oh, okay. Which is Master Black is a woman. Oh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm here for this. Um, Laid out. We see in Nada's story, we see Master Black and Master Green. We know from the context of the story and what we see that Master Green is a man. And from the effects used, he is the one on the left in the flashback. The one on the right then is Master Black. And I've noticed a few things about the character design. Nothing is really clear because it's very quick and uh, it's kind of an extreme wide shot. So we're not getting a lot of details. But Master Black seems to have a slightly longer haircut that, by the way they move, I believe might be a bob. Um, I mean, longer hair on the guys isn't that uncommon. Pretty much all of them have it, except Bamba. But just the way that their hair moves when they're moving around, it looks like it might be a bob. Which is generally not a haircut that guys have. Generally, yeah. The second is that Master Black has way narrower legs than Master Green. Or at bare minimum, much fitter tightening pants or tighter fitting pants. Again, not uncommon to put guys in tight pants. Uh Soma Haruto happened. <laughs> that dude did like his tight pants. But just the way that it looked, they almost seemed like leggings. 
more than like jeans or slacks, even ones that would be tight fitting. Um, and then coupled with that, Master Black has kind of a slightly longer coat that obscures their figure a little bit, but it's definitely a length that is uh, is generally a more feminine garment. Um, especially for something like that, a, you would either have a very a coat that goes to the waist or a coat that goes to the knees on a man. Um, again, it's not impossible for this this kind of hip cut coat to be on a man. It's not impossible. I'm not saying that that's not a thing that's ever happened. But that look at the same time, like this is this is all just conjecture, and if nothing else, I think this is definitely a, a thing of, hey, give me this one. Yeah, it's just I I do a lot of character design, and for something with this theming, I feel like this kind of directly at the hip, kind of just just down onto the thigh length cut, is something you'd see more on a woman. But the nail in the coffin for me is that the shot del is deliberately framed so that we never see Master Black's feet. We see Master Green kind of moving around a lot and jumping and lifting their feet off the ground, so we see the way that Master Green's shoes look. But Master Black's feet stay pretty much in the same place the whole time and are obscured by foreground rubble. We're zooming in as it happens so we almost get close enough to start to see but before we can actually see the way the boot is cut because it seems to be kind of an ankle boot which can go either way it cuts back to Toa and Nada before we can really see the style of the boot and if Master Black is wearing women's boots that would kind of give up the game um, I'm not sure why the game is hiding Master Black's gender but further obscuring their identities, I think, is kind of part of the whole thing the show has had going on for Master Black and Master Green. Um, so, I mean, why not? Why not take that I... one step further? Especially since both Toa and Bamba are male, you expect, and the way that the genders of the other three Masters have lined up, you would expect them both to be men. But, you know, I kind of believe Master Black is a woman. I kind of believe that they're Toa and Bamba's parents. Maybe? That'd be cool. And look, I mean, like, personally, I'm here for a Samus Aran reveal. Like, because that would mean we would have a third lady as somewhat, well, a second lady in the background and a third lady on the show, period, who is someone who is of major importance to the lore. Well, okay, I guess fourth, because Oto's there. But, like, she's not in the team. <laughs> she's not a Ryu soldier. We could have had, like, at least another lady in the history of being a Ryu soldier, and that would be cool. I mean, I wouldn't mind an extra lady on the team, but I guess that's just not happening. And at the moment, I, I think it's the price we pay to the esoteric whims of Toei to have a main, from-the-off lady common Rider this year. So You know, fair enough. I mean, I, I don't like choosing. I don't like one or the other, but I guess that's what's happening. But, I mean, <laughs> but, like, I just... I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind it. I'm putting it out I like there. The, I like the theory. I feel like Master Black is a lady. This is my conspiracy theory, and we'll see what happens. Um, man, the bit of Nada just kind of descending into madness as he tells this story, though, and you know, like how he was determined to find it and become really strong, and all of these, 
like, things he went through to get the armor to the point where he's, like, screaming about going up into space. Like, it was kind of gut-wrenching. I was ready to be here cheering the team towards blasting Nada back into the void of space for, you know, trying to have Ko murder his best friend. But the way that he plays out in this episode, how much he seems to hate what he's becoming... Like, dang, if they didn't warm me up to the redemption that they're building for him. Yeah, and they really are. I, and I didn't think that was quite going to happen, I, I confess, until that bit. Because I, I just figured it'd be a thing where, like, okay, they'd peel the suit off him and then he'd just kind of ride off into the sunset. But now, I mean, dang, they, they like you said, that's the sort of that's the sort of speech you give to someone who's going to be getting a redemption at some point. Also, I just I just want to recognize, for a guy who just sort of came off very, like, normal average guy from the off, uh, Nada's putting in some work in that scene. Yeah. My goodness. Honestly, he's been, like, low-key just doing a lot of good acting throughout, but just hot dang that scene. Yeah. And, man, the, the bit where Toa is talking to him about Bamba because they know each other and how Bamba has started becoming kinder and fighting for people that he cares about and especially using the begrudging fist bump to highlight that was just really sweet. And look, it was really that or the the help me remember this dance look that he's giving, you know, just before it transitions into the end theme. Like, that would be the only other moment that would do it. I'm, I'm, I am, however, glad they used the begrudging fist bump, because that is still the best moment. And like, also, wasn't that also a Sakamoto joint? Was it? Because I think that was with, with the princesses, right? It might have been. I don't remember I, I exactly what episode that's from. But just, like, even though Nada kind of, like, brushes that off because he doesn't- He knows Bamba, and he know, knows Bamba has always kind of just cared about getting the strong. Like, mm. you can see how much- he wants that same growth that Bamba's gotten to have when Toa says that Ko's the one that's really pushed them into being a team and that's why they've had this. Like, and how much he's fighting with his own emotions when Toa says that Ko believes in Nada and still cares about him. And how much he's again has to fight with his own emotions and he has to wrestle the suit in his head and the red in his heart when Ko reasserts that he does believe in him and care about him. And it would have been so easy to screw this up and make this kind of build towards a redemption feel really forced and regrettable and, you know, just kind of like the, the Abare killer redemption <laughs> that I don't really understand how or why everyone accepted him. But, like, the show nailed it. They really made me want to see Nada get to be one of the good guys for real. Oh yeah, big same. And, and I especially appreciate since, for me, part of the framing in like the overall story of like one episode to the next uh, has, it, has you remembering that bit from not too long ago where Ko had to learn to be kind. And, and it's a thing that's just been really on my mind since it happened, and when you think about that moment in the context of this guy just losing himself to the urge for power, 
it shows how the show wants to approach the concept of a personal or spiritual transformation. Uh, you you got to understand what you did wrong. Uh, in this case, uh, seeking out power and title instead of having the growth necessary to take on the title in question. Understand why it's wrong. Uh, the drive for power is a soul-devouring process, which turns you into a monster. And then commit to the work of being different, which it kind of feels like Nada wants to do here. It's it's really good stuff. And, yeah. It is, and I'm I'm... Again, we're still two episodes behind, and I'm really excited to talk about those next two episodes. Uh, Boy, me too. Thankfully, we've got a bra- an airing break, uh, so we're going to be able to, to get caught up and uh, kind of be on top of episodes again. But I'm, just, I'm really excited for the way this arc shakes out. Big same. Big, big same. Dang, when Conolo slapped some sense into that dude, it felt like a really big turning moment for his character about realizing that in spite of all of his good prospects, like being, you know, the sea prince, uh, he's not, he really can't just throw himself at every girl he sees. He's gotta, you know, really care about the girl he's gonna marry. He can't just marry anyone for the sake of marrying anyone, because that's not gonna work. No, no. And look, credit where it's due, I am so happy to see Conolo clearly getting away from that. That sort of, like, quasi-pickup artist thing where he's just going around and and just being a real nuisance, man. <laughs> just the worst. I, my favorite is still when he tried to hit on the the caricature artist when she's just trying to make some money. And she just had no time for him. It was great. She was very good. But... Instead, we're, we're talking about, like, hey, you, you have to be a part of an interaction with a person instead of merely taking possession of that person. Or you have to be more than a desirable commodity to be traded, because, frankly, that's a pretty toxic idea, too. Also, okay, on that note, when was the last time you saw a thing about how a dude is too stuck up and full of himself and and talking about how great he is all the time, or how wonderful a partner he'd be, and has to learn to appreciate his partners on that human level. Like, usually, at least in a lot of stuff I've noticed, it's a pretty lady who gets taken to task because, oh, you're too picky, your standards are too high, you're just a bad lady who thinks she can get by because she's hot and accomplished and rich. But, like, one... The level of too picky in the that is usually, like, having a single standard at all, ever. But, like, you never see a dude get taken to task for that. And I, I know that that's probably a thing of, like, different cultures, and there's probably a lot of Japanese media where you do see dudes get taken to task for that. But I come from where I come from, so it was real refreshing to see. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I've watched a lot of... A lot of Japanese dramas, and I feel like I have not seen it happen with dudes a super large amount of times. Yeah, at least not compared to the number of times you've seen ladies get taken to task for it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know, it was nice. It was kind of nice seeing, like, this dude and him being clearly in the wrong the whole time. Like, no one ever really sympathized with him on a level of, yeah, dude, maybe ladies should just, like, give you a chance. 
Like, even when Kanalo says he sympathizes, it's more like, yeah, I can sympathize with having a hard time finding a lady to relate to. Because he doesn't, like, know this guy. He doesn't know how this dude is treating women. Like, Kanalo's just having a hard time finding a lady to relate to. Which, again, this whole thing coming on the heels of his short-lived relationship with this woman who was perfect for him... Like, it really stung with the fact that he didn't get to be with her. And I feel like the yeah. lesson kind of would have hit even harder if Kanalo had been able to find a compromise and establish a long-term relationship with the first girl he'd ever actually shown respect for. Mm. To be like, hey, yeah, you know what happened the instant I respected and connected with a woman? We're getting married. <laughs> like, I just, I hope this all sticks for Kanalo this whole kind of change that he's had across these two episodes, and we're not going back to jokes and pratfalls about him chasing every girl he sees, and I guess they're already all married. Ugh. Like, yeah, just no. let him grow from this. Yeah. Please. That's, that's... It's time. It's not asking too much. Also, okay, weird little, I guess, quasi-fanfic corner. I was kind of hoping we'd end up with having now Nagasawa's marriage coach or singles counselor or whatever you'd call the, the matchmaker function, like, as a recurring character on Kanalo's side. Because, like, okay, he's he's trying to get over Akiko, or uh, Yui, sorry. Uh, but, like, you could do worse than someone who knows a thing or 18 about how to be a good partner. Honestly, for all I kind of wish we'd get to see a married Sentai member sometime or one who was a parent... I also just wouldn't mind going into, like, episode 40 with, hey, he's a newlywed. And I think that'd be cool. That'd be a yeah, good source yeah, of drama, I'd, whether it's with Akiko or now Nakazawa. I'd, I'd be down for be that. Good. Again, like, I wish also, this show had the stones to marry him off. Yeah. Also, um, I'll confess, I just also want to see now Nakazawa around. I mean, She's fair. Great. I, and also she could become a re-soldier and, like, kick a monster in the face. I mean, I truly believe that she and Kinoshida Ayumi just sometimes wander onto the Toei lot and they just film around them. Yeah, I mean, it would surprise me. the frequency that those two show up in things. But, uh, there is some real deep catharsis in Asuna getting to just scream at a monster about respecting women and then punching it to oblivion. Like, I kind of wish Asuna had gotten to be the one to use the Smash Soul to finish it off, but sure, okay, I know that Ko and Nada have this whole thing going on, and that was kind of the crux of that. But also, just yeah. let Asuna do it. Yeah, like, I'm just gonna make stuff up now and say that it's probably because they didn't want to scare the producers too very much by having a lady not only yell at Dr. Toolbox, but also literally crush his awful entitlement to other people's lives and attention with a giant robot. I, I don't know who the producers are this year, but it just it's one of those things where you notice for every couple steps forward for fictional ladies, there's also usually a step back or two, because some producers get really scared at the prospect of women being angry for things that, you know, ladies, I think, deserve to be angry about. Uh, the amount of people who will express just flat out a fear of and or disgust at the idea of women being angry for things that you can all agree, like, I think ladies could probably, like, yeah, I understand why they'd be angry about it. 
It's amazingly high. It's gross. I mean, at least at bare minimum, the steps forward that we seem to be getting this year on both sides seem to be big, and the steps backwards seem to be relatively small, which is a nice reversal of how it usually works. Yeah, no, I... I will... I cannot fight about that. Just, also, I... I just like when ladies get respected in these shows, dang it. Yeah. But, uh, we, we kind of end episode 30 with one another one of these horrible lizard brain things where I was really scared for Ko. Even though he's right? the red, and this obviously isn't going to kill him, because he's literally the main character of the show. But seeing him trust Nada enough to turn his back on him, and then be struck down for it, scared the heck out of me. And I was not cool having to wait a week to see the resolution of that. Yeah, no. All, especially with, with, like, the slow-mo on Toa, who's just like, wait, wait a minute, wait, that's not, that's not Nada. Just, like, just that, that horrible slow-motion helplessness, and then that cut. Like, <sighs> talk about moments where the end song just feels like someone pouring ice water on your head. <laughs> That's just been like, a while. Yeah, it, it, like okay, I know we give a lot of uh, we throw a lot of crap at Zhuoju. Zhuoju was great at that total whiplash stuff. Like maybe too good. The, like Ryu Soldier, back on that stuff. It just it was a vicious move, and and all the implications of everything going on in it were dizzying because like. Oh wait, is Nada even really in there? It, is Ko gonna survive? What are the rest of the team gonna do? It just, it's massive, and more than anything, the guy playing Ko, I think he's got a future in this industry, because oh, he yeah. sold that stuff. Like, again, I knew he was gonna be fine, because he's the Red, and they will literally never kill the Red, but he took that hit hard, and we ended with him blacked out on the ground, and that yeah. was scary. Yeah, it really was. And again, like, it's the lizard brain thing, because intellectually, yeah, of course. But at the same time, they sold it. Like, that that blow looked vicious and just so scary. I loved it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's that's it for, for our main thoughts on the show. Do we have any final thoughts? Any last-minute additions? Uh, just, again really excited to talk about the next two episodes and how this arc shakes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially since we'll... We might get to get caught up soon. That's gonna be snazzy. Yeah. But uh, until then, for all of us here at the Toe Network, which admittedly is just the two of us, uh, and of course for Laser Knees, which also, just the two of us, we can make it if we try. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And don't get kicked by a horse and die. <laughs>